0: Hey everybody, it's Shane Albarani back with another exciting adventure that is the Huntington University Comets podcast and we have another delightful discussion for you here today. We have got author, writer, all around great guy, Blake Sebring on the show. Uh, Blake has got a new book out about the Comets. It's about the 1993 uh, Turner Cup Championship team called Perfect and if you haven't read it, you're going to want to do it because I'm quoted quite accurately in that book because I was there, I lived it, it was a great time, this is a great book, and this was a great talk with Blake Sebring, so let's get right to it. Here is Blake Sebring on the Huntington University Commons Podcast. Okay.
1: You don't get excited or anything, do you? I
0: do not, but... Uh... At this very moment, I can't contain myself. Okay. <laughs> All right, Blake. Blake is back. Blake Sebring. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a minute, uh, but uh, you've got something very new and exciting. We're talking about your new book about the Fort Wayne Comets, uh, Perfect, the uh, 1993 championship run. Now, let's start with besides uh, you know, COVID pandemic uh, uh, boredom. What was the real reason why you wrote this? <laughs>
1: well, I was watching the Chicago Bulls documentary, and uh, and I realized I wasn't, I didn't want to watch it because it's like I lived it. Why do I need to watch it? Right. And then I realized that uh, half the people who are Comets fans now, at least half, weren't alive then, or were too young to remember sure. that. You know, and and so that's what I. I thought, oh, crap. And then I thought, oh, crap, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? You know what I mean? It's like it just made perfect sense. It was I literally smacked my forehead. You know, I was like, you dumb whatever. What were you thinking or why weren't you thinking, and, you know? Yeah. And it was kind of fun because I could write the first 100 pages almost from memory.
0: Right, right, right. And, and Now, did you have to go back and look at any of your the articles that you wrote?
1: I mean. Yeah, and I that, kept yeah, them all. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was one of the. It was one of the highlights of my career is like, yeah. you know, I was so proud of of how I didn't sleep that whole month. I mean, I didn't sleep. I mean, I was always thinking ahead and and planning ahead. I mean, looking up if were there any other undefeated playoff teams, you know, always fighting for that last little nugget and you know, the unique things that happened. And there were a lot of unique things that happened. I yeah. mean a ton, you know, and and I felt like I'd nailed it as well as i could have at that time you know i felt like i was right on top of everything and uh and i felt like i had done as well as i possibly could have and then i get to do this book and i find out a million more things that i didn't know about you know <laughs> right. which was fun because they weren't ready to tell me at the time right you know and
0: now they were right you know so how, who was the first person did you, you talk to I mean, how did this start? I mean, I know you said you had the idea. I had the idea, yeah. and then it's like, but where to start? Well, like, yeah,
1: because you don't know if you can get a hold of everybody right. or not. Nobody had the numbers right. or the emails, which we do now, um, but nobody did at the time, and uh, it was just I talked to Kevin McDonald first, I think, and he's always so excited. You know, we've I've main, I've maintained touch with most of the yeah. guys over the years. You know, we're friends on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or something, you know, and it's always keeping track of them and their kids and stuff. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't like, and I've done a lot of stories on a lot of these guys over the years past, too. It wasn't yeah. like this was the first time out of the blue I'm calling them, you know, or whatever, too. So that helped. Um, but Kevin was the first one, and he was so excited about it, and... And then I, there were guys I never thought I'd get a hold of. Yeah. Like, I never thought I'd get a hold of Bob Laxo, and I did. Or I didn't know where Corey Kosher was. Nobody knew where Corey Kosher was. <laughs> he just kind of disappeared after that yeah. year. Um, and it was amazing. I mean, it was – Dave Gagnon just called him up out of the blue. Yeah, this is Dave. Blake, what are you up to? Dude? You know, and it was like, it's like I had to talk to him three months ago. You <laughs> right, know, I mean, right. instead of 20 years, you know. So, like, no, like no time had gone by. Not really, like- no. And And – and it was you know typical of conversations with those guys you spend the first 45 minutes to an hour shooting the bull about what's happening with everybody else yes yeah. yeah and then you get into what you need you know yeah um so that was that was an amazing amount of fun you know yeah. my first question to Scott Gruel was who in the world are you to have two sons who became referees? Right. What does that say? You know, I mean. And he just laughed and laughed and laughed. He goes, "I hope the referees don't hold me against my kids." You know, it was like, "Yeah, because you were the dirtiest player in the game." <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, you were Ric Flair back That's then. Right. You know That's right. That's right. It's like, yeah, you know, I still remember when he had 290 penalty minutes. I'm like, "What's up with that?" And he
0: goes, "Well, I've always been able to defend myself." <laughs> <laughs> well, when the comments got AJ Jenks, I, I told him, I said, you're going to hear the name Scott Gruel a lot when yeah. people talk about you. So, I mean, uh, he, he's, he's still still legendary. I oh, mean, yeah. again, yeah. Like, we're talking another generation that doesn't really know what Scott Gruel was all about, but but you certainly know who AJ Jenks is, and that was really, I mean, that, yeah. it was yeah. pretty much the same situation. And
1: it and it, it reminded me of uh, Chad Grills. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. a lot of guys like that over the years. Um Tracy Edgeland, <laughs> you know I mean? There's yeah. just so many, you know. Um, but I remembered, too, is that this isn't like you can turn on ESPN and watch highlights of it right. either. There aren't any highlights out there. Right. You know, I mean, this isn't like we're having retrospectives about this team, you know, over the years. We just – there aren't – that's not a possibility. And so that kind of even more stoked my fire to, to do it and do it right and have some fun with it.
0: So your first person you talked to is Kevin McDonald. Did did he have any new information? Because <laughs> um, he seemed like a guy who would have more information than he He would? told me
1: about how he got in a fight with Pokey in practice. Really? Yeah, and he, and they were neighbors, so they got okay. along really well. But, you know, and Pokey had his routine, and part of it was everybody would just shoot on Pokey low and hit him in the glove, yeah. you know, in warm-ups or, or in practice. And he got one high, and – Pokey got pissed and threw his stick out, like, helicoptered it at him. And Kevin said he bounced him off the boards, you know. And you know better than that. I mean, he was it was yeah. – every guy had something like that, you know. Uh, um, Like, Pokey, why did you come out of the Atlanta game? You know, game yeah. three. It's a one-goal game, and he gets hit behind the net by Jeff Buchanan, who really kind of backed into him. It really wasn't yeah. a dirty – play. I mean he wasn't supposed to touch him but he backed into him. Yeah. And Pokey fell and acted like he'd lost a limb, like Pokey does and you know, and everybody was so scared to death. And Pokey comes off the ice and Dave Gagnon comes in and they pick it up and they he makes one kick save. Yep. And he played six, I think six twenty one. And I asked Pokey, what was going on with that? Because, you know, he wouldn't talk to the media after the game, yeah. so nobody in town, not even Al knew what his his condition was Yeah, and so the next day I get up and go to practice and he's out there fine and quick calling into the paper because there was not no internet right then right. you know, Wo-wo didn't break in to say hey pokey's at <laughs> practice we got it in the paper and that was a really high selling edition of the paper yeah. you know I mean he goes oh, I just wanted Dave to get in and own some of this <laughs> and I'm like what you put everybody around through whatever and he goes yeah because I've been there I mean I remember backing up Bill Ranford and in the Stanley Cup and stuff, and yeah. you know, and I remember what that's like, and I wanted Dave to have a part of this, and I was just totally flabbergasted. <laughs> it's like the last thing you expect to hear from yeah. any professional athlete, and the legend of Pokey grows, you I, know. What I mean, right?
0: And and Pokey's a guy who you could probably write a book about. I oh, mean, that might he, be your next <laughs> book because you know you talk. I don't about-
1: think so. I don't <laughs> think I could. My sanity could survive. <laughs> I'd be like trying to do one on the Joker, you know. What I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like. You wouldn't yeah. know what you're getting. <laughs> and,
0: and, and Pokey's such a fun guy. I've talked. Oh, he to is. Him a He's amazing. Times, you know, yeah.
1: uh, I learned yeah. twenty times more from him talking yeah. to him about this than I ever did in the yeah. four times he was here that right. I covered him. You right. know? Like he he says it was his plan to retire as a comet. I mean, yeah. that was. Yeah. I mean, he he'd had yeah. that plan forever. Yeah. You know, things like that that you just like, you got to be kidding me. He goes, No, I used to call Mike and I'd be having a bad year, and he says, Can I come home and get right? <laughs> and he'd come home for the next year yeah. and get right, and then he'd get another big contract and leave again. But he knew he'd come back. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, he and Mike still talk all yeah. the time, yeah. and it's just like,
0: and now we're talking, you know, seventieth anniversary. You know, there's a lot of banners up in the in the oh. rafters, and you can make your argument that Pokey should be up there. <laughs> he makes the argument right. in the book. Oh, okay,
1: he, he makes it in the book. I mean, yeah. he's like, you know, all power to those guys and respect and everything. But I didn't beat a double A team, right? And he's right. I mean, yeah. if you look at it that way, yeah. and if you think about it, he got them to the finals in his first year in like '86. That's
0: true. Oh, that's which right. a lot of people forget. And that's right, right. And that's another. Uh, I mean, that's maybe my favorite Comet team was that '86 team. Yeah. And uh, people. Well,
1: there was only six of you in the stands. I mean, <laughs> you know. I mean, it was such a that's different true. era. It's like it yeah. was an alternate universe almost. Yeah. yeah. You know.
0: But that '86 team. That's that's another one that if you're looking, I've always thought of. Uh, Maybe not a book, but a documentary about really just the 80s of Comet hockey. It was amazing. It was such a crazy time because you had different ownership. You had uh, different logos, different color scheme. I mean, it was a crazy time, but yet you had some of the best Comet teams ever. And they never won a championship. who
1: hung around forever. Yeah. Baldy and Robbie and and Riggsy and, you know, D-Ray. I mean, you know, there's guys that were Jim Burton. I mean, they were guys who were – all-time legendary names and the crap they went through. Yeah, you know, running from practice to get to the bank so their check wouldn't <laughs> bounce. You know, uh, you know, stuff like that is just incredible. The stuff they went through.
0: Yeah, so we're we're spitballing Blake's nec- next book as well. So here, that's your sure, that's sure. that's your uh, my little <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> go towards that. You never know. <laughs> But I'll go- be able to sell them first, you know, I <laughs> well, mean. okay, let's let's talk about perfect here. And, uh, you know, where, okay, Amazon, you can get it there. Obviously, that's yeah. where I got my copy. Now, sure. where do you get them
1: everywhere else? There's five places in town. There's this and that on North Anthony. There's uh, Hyde Brothers on Well Street, which those two have always been great to me. Um, and then um, um there's the Visit Fort Wayne, the History Center, and new a new one at Coney Island. At Coney Island, they have a gift shop now, and, and they're selling them there.
0: So, uh, no excuses. To You can find this, uh, and you can find all of other uh, Blake's books And also. Oh, also, at the yeah. game starting this week, we're going to
1: have a ton of them yeah. there. I mean, yeah. a ton. So, uh, obviously, that's another place you could look for them.
0: So, in going back and researching and talking to everybody, was there any – stories that kind of surprised you that you didn't know about? I mean, well, uh, the pokey one the with pokey Dave one Gagnon should, was a good one.
1: Right. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of them, I knew it was so much fun to revisit them. Like uh, uh, Steve Wilson had to leave the next morning to go get married in Dayton. <laughs> I mean, he got like an hour of sleep and he got up and drove to Dayton to play golf with his groomsmen and everything and somehow he got through the wedding. And he he doesn't really, you know, it was just pure adrenaline, you know. Yeah. And then his wife says at the end of the wedding, because they, you know, everybody would already been, all their hotel rooms are booked. You know, what would he have done if the Comets had lost Friday night instead of, oh, and had to right. play Saturday? That's right, yeah. And, you know, what would he have done, you know. And his wife was so cool about the whole thing. She's after the wedding and the reception and stuff. And he just, I think he sl- slept for like 18 hours. <laughs> and he gets up and she says, you need to go back to Fort Wayne to continue celebrating yeah. with your buddies. And, you know, their their honeymoon, I believe, was a timeshare somewhere that somebody had given them, and they could use it other times. But, I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. The day she has always dreamed of and she lets him go experience the time he's always dreamed of. Yeah. And well how cool is that you know he got back in time for the parade and stuff and uh you know and the other one i remember is joel savage had to leave that night to go (laughs) to rochester in the AHL final
0: that's right yes i remember
1: that yeah and you know he had a chance to win two cups in a week yeah and they ended up losing um But he had that opportunity, and so he missed all the celebrations. Yeah. And that's why he says he wants to come back for a reunion. He's the guy banging the drum the hardest for the reunion. Yeah. Because he wants to come back and see everybody and see all the stuff that he didn't get to see and do. Although he came back the next year. He signed with Anaheim and played really well, but they already had their numbers picked, you know, and, and so he ended up going to San Diego, except the Comets owned his IHL rights, and though they had to negotiate again with San Diego, and <laughs> he ended up coming back here, and he could just never recapture that moment. Yeah. And I think he got hurt too, and then he ended up in Europe, and he ended up captaining Team USA, Yeah, which was really cool. I mean, he had an amazing career. It's, it's really amazing these guys in their post-Fort Wayne careers. I mean, right. a lot of them came back, but a lot of them didn't. Yeah. Uh you know, Joel and Steve Wilson had a 17-year pro career, you know. Yeah. Um, it was Bob Wilkie, you know. I mean, uh, it was pretty amazing how well these guys did afterwards and yeah. how long they played. Kevin McDonald was another. He settled in uh, – he was in Fresno, I think, and then he ended up being the general manager in Bakersfield. And how many of these guys stayed in the game? Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, there was like – I I don't remember the exact number. It's in the book. But like 14 or 15 of the guys on that team became captains or were yeah. captains. You yeah. know, I mean, the locker room was just incredible. Yeah.
0: Now, let's. I don't want to, any spoilers, but you know, for people listening to this, you know, don't really know the story of this right. team. So going back to the very beginning, you know, this team, <coughs> the year oh. before. You know, we were crushed. We thought for sure that was going to be the year lost in the, op- the opening yeah. round against Kalamazoo in Game 7. Which they and never should have lost. Right, and I can still see that last goal going in past Pokey. I yeah. I, 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 I can and, still see and, it.
1: And, and Bruce Boudreaux hitting Larry Dick's stick twice, yes. you know, and the knob, you know, yeah. on shots. Yeah.
0: So you were crushed. So so you're going back. You and got... they all,
1: and you got to remember, they took that series for granted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they all did. I mean, they – they talked about that in the book. Really, this book is about the 90s of the Cubs right. as much as this just, just that year. But uh, it's a generational thing. And, you know, it goes back to 1991, the rebirth season. Yeah. Which is hilarious because everybody, that's everybody's favorite season. But there was only 4,500 attendance every night. Yeah. What people remember are the playoffs that year, which the Wednesday before the playoffs started, they were in Indianapolis and Whitey Stapleton and Colin got in a stick fight. And that's what really sparked the attendance in both cities because the first game I remember driving down there uh, on a Friday night and, you know, uh, that was the – they were, you know, just wild games. I mean, I remember Sue Sims getting escorted out by the the security staff down there. You know, and uh, you remember they used to have to rope off the fans. Remember that? I mean, and it wasn't that wide of a building, you know. I mean – it was – I always imagined that that was what it was like going to Toledo. It's a sports arena.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah it
1: kind of was. I yeah. mean, you know, there was like a 1,000 fans driving back and forth to every game That's from right. both teams and stuff, and every game was a sellout. Well, I don't think it would have happened without that stick fight on that Wednesday before, yeah. you know. And Colin coming out in the paper, we just hate those guys. I mean, that wasn't <laughs> what he said exactly, but guys is how what fit in the paper. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, and, you know, and Al saying – I don't have to say anything before these games; they just know. Yeah, you know what I mean,
0: and that was you know, uh, uh, you know back when t- rivalries were right, rivalries. exactly, and and people maybe forget because the rivalry now with Indy isn't quite as intense as it used to be. But you're right; oh, those no. early '90 games between the the Comets and the Ice were just—they uh, oh, were all wars. You never knew what was going to happen, <laughs> but you knew you'd see something you'd never seen before. Right, right.
1: You know, and and you look back now at the quality of players. Yeah, You know, I mean, you, that indie team was absolutely loaded. Defending, well, they had won the cup, I believe, the yeah, year the before. Yeah, the defending champions, and they were just stacked. And uh, all those guys who played in the NHL, Jimmy Waite, Dominic Hoschuk. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. And, you know, and there was still the story that Mike Keenan said, if you guys don't win this game seven, you'll never play for the Blackhawks. He said this before overtime, supposedly. Yeah. And then you think, oh, that's crap. That could never yeah. happen. And then you look, all those guys that got traded away, <laughs> you know, and a lot of them came back after Keenan was gone, yeah. but they all got moved, you know, including Hashik, Yeah. And what was the, the Blackhawks' biggest problem for decades was goaltending. Yeah. They never replaced Tony Esposito. <clears throat> and here was the guy, and they yeah. blew it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so many stories like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that was that was ninety ninety one, and then you know you after that series with Indy, you played against Kalamazoo, Larry which was Palma, just as equal as brutal.
1: Yeah. Well, because Larry De Palma and Robin Bawa yeah. and high stick and Robin Bawa, and then Robin's picture with the black eye closed getting yeah. in the paper, and and that was just stoked to everything.
0: Yeah, I mean. Oh yeah, I, I I I was at home. I remember that game, and I remember going. Uh, I think it was the game before we were going up to Kalamazoo, and it was uh, a fog game where yes. you couldn't control the fog, and the game was stopped several times.
1: Yeah, I remember those guys all skating yeah. around, and it's yeah. like, man, and uh, but they, you know, it was just. I mean, it became a blood flu- feud all itself. I yeah. mean, uh, and
0: and and then Peoria. I mean. And and if you look at that Peoria team, that may oh have been. My you know, we talk about in right. the book. You're obviously talking about right. San Diego, which probably is the greatest minor league hockey team. But that Peoria team in 19, at 91, is not far behind.
1: Well, and I I think you could make the case that the Peoria team was better. Right. They played better opposition. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt of that. I mean, the IHL in 1991 was much stronger than 1992, 90, 93, but. You know, the biggest difference would probably be the goaltending. Right. You know, Rick Knickle was out of his mind that year. Yeah. And then he got called up. And, you know, you still replace him with Clint Malarchuk and Peter <laughs> Ng. You know, that, not exactly chopped liver. Yeah. But they're not Pat Jablonski and yeah. Guy Bear either. Yeah. You know, I mean, um and neither one of those two really did that much in the show. Now, granted, those other guys were on the way down, but yeah. still. And that defense – was an NHL defense in San Diego, and that yeah. was not the case in Peoria. Right, but they just outscored
0: everybody. Right, um, right. But so I mean that so that was the launch of the rebirth of college right. hockey. Those, those two seasons, then finally in '93, and then they had to eat it
1: all summer of <laughs> right. '92. Right, about that loss to Kalamazoo because they were so cocky. I remember Steve uh, Warden and I wrote after Game One here where Mark Turner was the hero. They came back after I think they were down three-to-one or four-to-one even, yeah. and they came back and won five-to-four, and we both said in our stories the next day, they play like this, they're going to get beat, and boy, were they pissed at us the next <laughs> night because they came back and won a little easier. And I'm like, I didn't see any difference tonight, boys. I saw a goaltending yeah. tonight. I didn't see any difference in you guys, Yeah, you know, and and they were all honked at us, <laughs> and, uh, and then they go up and get smoked in game three. It's like seven-to-one. Uh, in Kalamazoo, and it's like, boys, this is real. You better pull it out. You know, yeah. better pull something out of here. And they never could. They could never regain that momentum. Now, Kalamazoo had gotten seven guys down to start the playoffs, and the Comets were missing Bobby Laxo, and I think Ian Boyce, and Kelly Hurd was still in Adirondack, and uh, Dan Lambert. I don't remember if he was back or not. I mean, it was just – there were some quality players missing. Yeah, And they had – a Craig Martin was out. They had a bunch of injuries. Uh, but still – I mean they they knew they missed a chance there. Yeah. And
0: it, it, you you talk about the how the guys were mad at you after you wrote that. And I think that's also a thing that that's lost. I've talked to Justin Cohen about this is that, you know, that was the only outlet was the newspaper or right. the radio or or TV, but the newspaper wasn't printed everybody read the newspaper. Right. So nowadays it's not quite the case. You can maybe oh. get away <laughs> with something, but back then everybody read what you wrote. Yeah. And you were going to hear about it.
1: Oh, and that's fine, and you knew that going in. Yeah. I mean, I there have been times where Justin and I would we talk about all that. I mean, times where something he wrote or something I wrote, and we knew we were skipping Al's press conference after the yeah. game and going right to the locker room, and what do you want to say, boys? You know, say it. Uh, and the thing of it was is you they knew you were there for the bad, you were there for the good, and you stood up for it, and you stood up to it, and I think that is a lot of – why guys call me back now. You know, they yeah. res- there's that respect. And I never I never went out of my way to name guys by name in the stories. I would talk about the defense this or the defense that. Or yeah. the only one you couldn't get away from was the goal. Right. You know, or the forwards didn't back check enough, that kind of thing. I mean, it, there were very few times where you named somebody by name. Yeah. But, man, they had to be dogging it. And right,
0: right, but in, in ninety, in, the, in that season, the 92-93 season, they, oh, it was it, far it, from perfect. Right, and it didn't start off well because I remember oh, gosh, it well no. it was at two and seven. I think, yeah, two it was, and seven. It was a little, little brutal. And you go through, you know, really almost game by game uh, in the book, and that's really interesting to show how it built up yeah. and the guys who came in, the guys who came out, and how and, ironic- it tur-
1: and it turned out to be that everybody sensed the same thing was happening as it happened in ninety-two. Yeah. And there was a team meeting that, because I mean, I remember going to the the All Star game in Phoenix, and uh, the guys were on lockdown here. Yeah, and Chinner was running practices. Now, did they stay locked down with those guys? Who knows? Or, but um, but everybody started to realize, you know what? We might blow this again, because they were they were not challenged in the division at all. Yeah. And they, you know, they were far in front, but they were getting sloppy again, and everybody could see it. Everybody could see it, and you know, they were losing. They'd win four or five in a row, but then they lose three or four in a row. You know, including to last place Cincinnati, which was just ridiculous. They just didn't have it that year, but they had the Comets' number. Yeah, and so I put them on lockdown and uh, gave them um, a curfew and even. And he'd make the phone calls, and he says, "I got to talk to your wife, you know, yeah. on the phone. I don't want to hear just from you. I want to yeah. hear from your wife that you're there." You know, he knew those guys well enough. <laughs> of course, a lot of times he was out with them too, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then they called this meeting, and uh, <laughs> the the game before they had lost at Cincinnati, and the the owners called the meeting, and I don't know that the owners ever got in the room for the mm-hmm. meeting. I never got a straight answer on that. Yeah. One. And if anyone would have kept him out, it would have been Colin. Yeah, you know, because he did that frequently. But he also knew well enough that, oh crap, I got to take the bull by the horns here. Yeah. And nobody was better than him at that. He had so much respect. All the guys just talk about the respect that they had, and that locker room was set up so perfectly with, with Louie and uh, Fletchy. You know, I mean, people don't know what Fletch did in that locker room. Right. You you will see a lot of that in this book where the younger guys all talked about Fletch's influence on them, not just that year, but what he taught them about being a professional and how he helped them make careers by what they learned from him that year. Yeah. I mean, Steve Wilson, Dave Smith, I mean, there's just all those young guys talked about Fletchy. And almost all of them, it wasn't, what do you think about Fletchy? It was like, what else do you remember from that year? And he was like one of the first things they all mentioned. Yeah, And it's just like his impact – on that generation of players just cannot be overstated.
0: And he was and, – and Fletcher didn't play whole, uh, hardly at all if he did no. all the playoffs. but the
1: thing of it yeah. was all guys, every guy on the roster played in the playoffs. Yeah. They all played early or late. You know, I mean, like D-Ray made the point, you just didn't have 18 guys. Yeah. I mean, that was – or 16 guys and two goalies. I yeah. mean, you had everybody in there, you know. Yeah. And they still perform. Well, people forget. Gee didn't play till the finals. That's right. Steve Wilson only played, I think, the first or second yeah. game. But you remember that last 15 games, they were undefeated too. Yeah. And those guys were killing it. They were absolutely killing it. And then Bob Wilkie came back, you know, and then Bobby J got hurt in the final. I mean, but those guys had carried that team to the playoffs. Um, and they were like, Gee was like, I don't remember he was like, I think he was like plus 12 the last. 15 games I mean it was insane you know any other team he'd have been starting and uh, Steve Wilson was the same thing and yet neither one of them they were the backup guys yeah understandably so considering and you forget Dan Ratushini wasn't there either yeah and he had been there most of the year I mean it's like that defense was unreal
0: yeah and It's nice. You also you put you know the, the season long stats in there, yeah. and you look at some of those numbers. It's like, wow, yeah, you know, what what? A, Considering they yeah. weren't consistent at right. all
1: the whole stinking year right. until the very end.
0: Yeah. And, and again, I didn't realize, you know, in, in reading the book and I'm showing you I actually have a bookmark. So I have I'm, actually I'm telling started. You, yeah, I didn't know you could read that much. <laughs> I, my, I've read as much as my attention span will allow. Dang
1: it. That's just the perfect thing an author wants to hear. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much. But again, I lived it. I was there. Yeah, I, know, so, I know, you know. I know. I uh, know. So but well, what it, have you heard that you didn't know? I, uh, well, I mean, obviously, I was just a fan, so I didn't know really anything, you know, and, and I
1: mean, to let you the listeners yeah. know, Shane is in the book. I thought Shane, I asked, I asked certain people like Shane, like Kent Horman, like Sue Tilbury, very specifically with a plan to be in the book because they helped set the tone through all the interviews then to come. Because, you know, what was it like, Larry Schmidt? You know, what was it like to be a fan right. before the Frankies bought the team? And then what was the impact on that first three years? on you know and you guys nailed it i mean it was so cool it was like yes god thank you i i made the right choice asking these people to be in it you know because it really does uh set the the tempo of the whole story and the uh, the perspective of why this was such a radical event in comets and sports history yeah because you guys had all been there when there was nobody else there right like you know you and Larry talk about you guys were the only comets fans you knew essentially <laughs> among your your yeah. extended groups, yeah because uh you know nobody was a fan at school, you yeah. know I mean, and like larry says i was I was the only comets fan at his school, the whole school you yeah. know back then, and uh. And he's got a neat story too about how he got into the last game and stuff. And
0: yeah, I mean, I, I did too. I uh, yeah, um, uh, I I always went to every game with my dad, uh, but uh, we only get two tickets. We weren't season ticket holders till I think the next year. Uh, so uh, it was my dad or my girlfriend, and of course, the girlfriend went, went, went out. So you know, dad was cool with that. So, uh, <laughs> but and the thing of it was, we didn't. It, the um, it was sold out we couldn't get tickets together. We got single tickets, like almost on opposite sides. It's like we just saw each other during the intermissions. So, I mean, that's how – I mean, and it it just took off. In 1990, you know, we were – I mean, I think we were almost kind of mad because us diehard fans in right. the 80s were like, where were you people the right. last Where decade? have you been? Right, you know, right. This was great hockey. And, and all of a sudden it's like... And it know, was good it hockey. Was That's great. what's crazy about yeah. it.
1: I mean, they won division titles. They were going to the final. They went to the finals with Pokey the first year he was here. Yeah. You know, in 86. Well,
0: 83 and 86. I have 83, 84, and then uh It's just 86. crazy.
1: And then, you know, it just shows you how much the marketing of it went when right. the Fronkies bought. Yeah. And it wasn't like... Miracle. It was like basic stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. but they, but everybody knew when the games were finally, right. you know, I mean, <laughs> which is crazy because, you know, the newspaper still covered them like they always had, you know, and Bob was still doing the games yeah. and, and it's just, it was just out of sight, out of mind type of thing. Yeah. But, but it was very important for, to bring in Shane and Kent and Larry and Sue uh, to provide the perspective and to really set the, 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 the template of what was, why this was so historical for, from a Fort Wayne perspective. And, and I, I I thought it was really important when you talked about what it was like to wait in line to buy tickets. Yeah.
0: And that's something I had never experienced. Right. And nobody
1: had, and (laughs) that was part of the deal. I mean, you couldn't buy them online. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't call and buy tickets. You had to be there and how people were wrapped around the arena, you know, and, and it was, there were no cell phones then. I mean, people were – they had to talk to each other, you know. I yeah. mean, and people were playing cards, like oh, you yeah. said. And, yeah. and it was just – it was an event just to wait in line for tickets. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't know if you were going to get them right. or not. Right, And, I mean, it was just – nobody could remember ever that happening. I mean, not for a concert, not for anything. Yeah. And it happened every game for hockey. Yeah. It was just so bizarre. I mean, yeah. it, that became – Part of the story in itself, and that was really fun to use you guys to capture, recapture that those moments too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was the greatest thing ever. But for us who had been there, it was it was kind of a bummer because it's like uh, it was just like our small little click, our little group, and then all of a sudden everybody is here, yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: And you, yeah, you, you, I mean, you want them all those times you wanted people to come yeah. in and see, and then when they do, it's like, oh wait a minute, you're taking my spot, right? You know, right? I mean, it was just. It was just so different. I still remember reading the stories that Bud would write in the paper, especially on Mondays wrapping up the weekend, and it would be at the top of the sports page every Monday, and at the bottom, I mean, attendance was 21-22. You know I mean? Yeah. It was like you know how the Pistons felt in the 50s when they ended up leaving because yeah. it was the same attendance numbers. Yeah. You know, and and that's why Fort Wayne lost the NBA, and you, you always wondered, oh, are we going to lose – Yeah. We, were we going to lose hockey, you know? And yeah. It's just the whole thing is a miracle. I mean, it really is. I mean, you literally could not come up with a script for all the things that happened yeah. and to make it work.
0: Yeah. And you could, I mean, again, more book ideas. Well, I'm going to keep you busy writing this <laughs> stuff. Um, but again, to, 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 again, with the 80s and those great teams and the attendance and then the Frankies take over and it, w- there was a brief time there. I mean, it's something right. I'll have to actually talk like a couple weeks. To, right. I'll have to actually talk to Michael. It may even a month or so where there was no hockey in Fort Wayne. Right. The the team had moved to Albany that summer of 1990. So there was no team. It was gone and then the Frankies resurrected. They bought the Flint franchise and moved it to Fort Wayne. And I remember this so, well, when this happened, we had a family meeting. We sat down at the dinner table and we discussed the possibility of not having hockey anymore. I mean, it's like, what were we going to do as a family? Yeah. I mean, that's how big it was.
1: And Larry says the same thing, talking about his folks and stuff. Yeah. And and uh, it, he's got a fascinating story in this book. I mean, he really does. Talking about when he was in grade school, and he was the only Comets fan in the yeah. whole building. And then, you know, his folks call him the day of the last game, and say, "We're taking your brother, or your your sister, and brother-in-law to the game tonight." And he's like, "Oh my gosh!" And that's not what he said. But you know, I mean, <laughs> but it's like, what is he supposed to do for a ticket? Yeah, you know, because they're all sold out. Right. You know, I mean, you can't buy. It. People were having signs on Coliseum Boulevard. Yeah. Need tickets to the game. Yeah, and they couldn't get any. I mean, yeah. there was just it was not happening. Yeah. Nobody was giving up their yeah. tickets. And he got to the game. I believe it was two hours early, and stood outside looking for tickets, and he couldn't find one. And he finally, I, and I don't want to spoil it, right? He, but he did get in, and it's the way he got in is amazing. Yeah, and it's a totally Larry Schmidt story. <laughs> I mean, only Larry could pull this off, you know, and it works. But I mean there are stories like that throughout the book. Yeah. I mean, Kent and the 33 jinx, you know, and how he didn't, he, people threatened him if they lost that game, you know, and he brought two bottles of champagne that night, which yeah. kiss of death, you oh. dummy, you yeah. know, and, and hit him in the comments office. And he's thinking, oh crap, if they lose this game, I'm just going to crack these over my head. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everybody's got a story like that in this. I mean, it's like, and and they were probably the last interviews I did after all the players yeah. cuz I needed I just felt like there needed to be some connection. Yeah. And you guys all just nailed it. You hit it you just hit it. You hit the crossbar. It's <laughs> dead on perfect ting, <laughs> you know? I mean, it was just amazing. And uh just it was just those set the scene so well. Yeah. They were so much fun. I mean, there were times where I'd get off the phone late at night with you or Larry or whoever or one of the players, and I'd be so excited I just couldn't sleep because I had learned things new. Yeah. It was like when I did onto the Show, which talks about all the guys in the Comets' relationship with the NHL. And, you know, when I talked to Scotty Bowman at 10.30 or 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, I was just so pumped up. I wasn't going <laughs> to sleep that night. You know what I mean? Or when Kevin uh, – Weeks he finally called me back, and you know, I mean, it's like there was just certain ones when I tracked down Alton White. You know, I mean, it's like there was no way I was going to sleep. I was just so excited that it's like, my gosh, how could this ever be any better? You know, and and it was just those were it was just so many stories like that. You know, it's almost like if you put the two books together, yeah, you've got the Comets Encyclopedia. Yeah, I guess you throw in Tales of the Comets and Legends of the Comets, and I guess. Bob's book too. Then there's the co- there's the encyclopedia right yeah, there. You yeah, know
0: what I, mean? I mean, and that, and it's ama- how many comic books have you written? Those five. Okay, you got five books on a minor league hockey team. Right, is insane. And I mean, they
1: and they all stand alone too. Right, I mean, right. and then they're all like, gosh, why didn't you think of that sooner? You know, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, why didn't we? Do, well, I know why we didn't do Bob's book sooner, but uh, you know, um, it just you know, why wasn't there a comics record book before right. that? You know, right. like. Duh. You know, yeah. I mean these kind of things I was just really blessed to be in the right spot at the right time, I guess. Yeah.
0: And you can I mean, you're obviously you're not a beat you're not writing the beat anymore, but you still have this this wealth of stories still that you could write and you you're proving it with this one and you could keep on going. Yeah, but um, they gotta sell. I right. mean well, I, I mean well, that's sure, the thing. Sure. I mean
1: um like Legends of the comments. I lost money. Um um, onto the show, I probably lost money in the big yeah. picture because you gotta, you gotta pay somebody to edit it. You gotta do right. the book covers. You gotta do, uh, you have to buy the books from Amazon that you sell locally. That kind of thing. Yeah, it's a gamble. It's always a gamble, and you're always like, oh boy, do I buy another hundred bucks, hundred books for seven hundred fifty dollars, or do I just wait? You know, I yeah. Mean, see, because if you, if you're stuck with them, you're stuck with them. Right.
0: Right. And that's hard
1: because that, that's <laughs> not cheap.
0: Right. All. And also, I mean, it's also an issue of marketing because, I mean, obviously that takes money to do. Um, but these books, if you're a hockey fan, you don't have to be a Comet fan. Right. I mean, it, this the, the book, perfect. I mean, this could be about any team. And you could pick it up and read right. it. And, 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 and enjoy it. And right, enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, aside from. One of my
1: favorite lines in the whole book was asking Steve Fletcher why so many guys stayed here. Yeah. And when they retired, and he goes, and it was like, it, the obvious the, the reason is obvious because they all married local girls, yeah, and he says, "Yeah, it was in the fine print of the contract, none of us read. <laughs> I said it was, he said it was written in blood, you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and they all did. they all married yeah. local girls, you know yeah. I mean, and it, it just it's so funny, you know I mean, they all have such great senses of humor about the whole thing. Now do they stay in touch? No, they don't, which is weird, yeah, because like I said, the first <laughs> hour of every conversation was catching up on yeah. who's doing what, you know, yeah. and how many kids do they have, or, or I can't believe they're still together. Nobody gave them a chance <laughs> to stay together, you know I mean? Or things like that. I mean, it was yeah. just, it was just so much fun talking to them. And the more, you know, the more I deeper, I got into it, the more I had talked to everybody and stuff. And, yeah. and uh, I had there, they all wanted the, the email addresses and phone numbers and stuff. So when the book was done, I sent out a group email, of, you know, the book is done and this is where you can get it. I'm sorry, I can't afford to buy you all individual copies. And they were like, no, 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 that's fine. And and then they started their own email chain Uh where they were japping at each other and teasing and everything. And, oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, it's just like they were – They really, Kevin was the one who really helped get all the guys sending in pictures of themselves holding the book. That's how that started. And um, and that's been the best marketing thing of all. Yeah. Because, um, you know, they were so happy with it. I, I have had the most amazing compliments from some of the guys. Al wrote me the nicest note um, talking about how it really recaptured how what he felt about that season and, and really reminded him of some things. And guys telling me that, that they haven't actually gotten to read it yet because their kids grabbed it right away. <laughs> their kids who weren't born then. Yeah or their parents who weren't here read it, you know, instead of them reading. Like Peter Hanginson hasn't gotten his picture in with him holding the book cuz his mom is still reading the book. Yeah. And you know, I mean, there's all kinds of stories like that. And, and about what it meant to their families to be able to read the book. Scotty Gruel sent me a note about that, you know, and yeah. too and and I never thought about that, you yeah. know. But what a blessing that has been yeah. to get to hear back from these guys about that. That was an unintended consequence that you just I never thought of that but <laughs> it makes total sense because their kids weren't alive then yeah and you know in some ways I'm sure it's brought them closer together with their fathers you know they have a better understanding of, of what it was like and such and
0: well um, I, I like that you, that you brought that up because when uh the Comets won the cup this summer Uh, I was on the ice doing interviews like Bob always did. And the first person I grabbed was A.J. Jenks, the captain. And, uh, you know, he just had a son. And my question was, what are you going to tell your son about this team?
1: And those are always the most fun stories (laughs) anyway. The stuff that anybody sitting in the stands can relate to more than just the nuts and bolts of hockey. Yeah. The stories that, you know, I always used to tell the guys, I want stories your grandma wants to read. Yeah. Because if I can touch grandma's heart, I can get anybody, you know. Yeah and you know there were so many millions of stories like that over the years and that just you know just
0: uh you know
1: just amazing you know
0: and and going back to the book you know uh you know the, the story is you know you the the team beats Cleveland beats Atlanta two very good teams and you play of uh, San Diego who is arguably like we've talked about that the, the yeah. greatest the greatest team ever the Godzilla uh, right. of hockey yeah. teams and uh, you know, this was a team, actually, I actually kind of called it because I said, this is a, uh, this is a, v- a veteran team. Yeah. How much are they going to care down the stretch? And they went to seven games against Kansas City to get into the final against, against the Comets. And they were because they were having two-a-days. Right.
1: You know, and stuff. And they were just, their legs were dead. Right. And they all thought they were just going to throw their sticks out and win. Yeah. And because they should have. Yeah. I mean, they had that kind of talent, but also the Comets had not impressed them during the season at all.
0: But it would have been also interesting if you had talked to a few. Of I the tried. Guys. I mean, I like did. John Anderson. I tried. Who, who was a big part of the yep. Comets resurgence, was was playing
1: for San Diego. I did try. Yeah. I talked to John. John didn't want any part of it. <laughs> I talked to Max. Uh, Max, unfortunately, because of concussions, doesn't remember. Him. Yeah. Uh, I did. I tried five or six guys. And but that also of, shows. None of them
0: wanted to touch But it. that also shows how much they still care, how much they still hanging yes. on to it.
1: Dale DeGray uh was coaching in Buffalo and Dave Smith from the Comets that year was coaching at Kinesis And and Buffalo Sabres is what I'm talking about. So Dave Smith invited Dale DeGray to come speak to his team. And Dale brought some tape from that year. <laughs> and Dave talks about in the book in the book about how Dale DeGray points out all the dirty plays that Dave Smith made. <laughs> And how they never got called. <laughs> I mean and Dave is just over in the corner dying, you know. What I Because yeah. none you know, once you get to a certain point, yeah. none of your players ever remember that you actually played the game. Yeah. Or did anything in the game, yeah. you know. And and uh, and so the big, big laugh at Dave's expense. Well, Dave, like, I still got the ring, you know. What yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just like and I remember one of my favorite stories, and this is how much I was into all this back then. Uh, I heard a story about how when the IHL All-Star game was in Cincinnati and Dave was coaching at Miami of Ohio, I think he was an assistant coach. No, he was at Ohio, Miami of Ohio or Ohio yeah. State. I can't remember. He played at Ohio State. So the the, the the Turner Cup was in the hotel lobby, and he crawled over the the ropes <laughs> to turn the cup so he could point <laughs> out his name on the Turner Cup to all his players. Yeah. I mean, how cool is that? You know, I mean, uh, but there's a lot of little stories like that in there. Yeah. And and what, you know, we finally finally have the definitive story of what happened to the cup that it fell apart. Well, you see, and that's
0: where I was going. I was saying, you could write a book again on the adventures of championship cups. Yeah, and I could. I know. And then,
1: but it's just, you know, I felt like I did all that, you know, that's in Tales of the Comets. Yeah. You know, um, but Dave Smith or uh, Bob Wilkie doesn't remember much of the first five days after winning
0: because he was so hammered <laughs> like these guys didn't go home. Well, and I love in the book that you put the celebration that everyone went to Pierre's like, they right, just right. Win. Yeah. And
1: then they came back and they went and played golf. They showered <laughs> yeah. in the locker room, which was still covered in beer for like a week. Yeah. And then they went out and played golf. Or then they'd come back and shower again, and then they'd take it to O'Sullivan's. Or they, yeah. you know, I mean, it went all over town. And the cup officially or unofficially got lost, yeah. you know, right before the parade, and nobody knew where it was. And it showed up in the nick of time somehow. <laughs> and there's a story behind that, but I haven't been able to quite figure out a way to publish what that story <laughs> is. So we're going to leave that one alone.
0: But- well, I actually have a story about the Kelly Cup. Uh, I had a day with the cup because I basically stole it. Sure. Uh, we were at uh, the mayor's office. Uh, uh, Anthony Petrozelli was kind of the keeper of it because everyone had pretty much been out of town. This is a week after. So it was just Petey who had the cup. He was leaving the next day. We were at the mayor's office, and he just kind of left the cup. And I said... <sighs> I'm taking it. <laughs> and I picked it up and I walked out. You didn't tell anybody? And then, well, I mentioned it to Petey like before. No, no I don't mean – I mean in yeah. management. Oh, no. I just took it. Oh, my god. I just took it. And uh, so I got a, a Well, text. it's not like you can do anything with it. You yeah. can't sell it. Right. So, yeah. So it's like, if I don't take this now, I'm not going to get it. So I, so I picked it up and I walked out with it. And I got home and I had a, a, a frantic text message from Petey saying, you have the cup, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you're yeah. the one who walked off with it. I'm like, yes, I have it. And, it, and it always
1: gets destroyed. Right. <laughs> you know, the first time the Comets won it in 63, they left it outside the Coliseum in like three pieces. Yeah. And then they remembered to go back and get it the next morning and it was still there. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's all kinds of stories that way. Yeah. You know, uh, which I've all, which I've written about, you know. Yeah. And a lot, some of those are in, they're in onto the show, actually. Yeah. Um, and there's there's ones in there about the things that former comments have done with the Stanley Cup too, in right. um, onto the show. Um, but yeah, there's always these stories behind the stories, that that you know the the statute of limitations is yeah. expired. You can tell them now. Yeah. You know, I mean,
0: well, and and uh, you know celebrating seventy years here. Uh, one of the research things that I did this summer was getting the uh, going back and seeing. Everyone who wore a comet jersey who has passed away, right. so I could get the, the date and we could do a, a bit of a memorial. Um, so just doing that research and uncovering some of these these stories, you know, guys who played five, six, seven games here. Oh my gosh, and, yeah. But you, but you do the research, you know, to get. Well, that you know, was in.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, Legends of the Comets. Yeah. Where are they now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it, it you get addicted to that stuff. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it takes forever. And then you find a guy by looking at another for another guy. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's insane. You know, I mean, I was able to help out with like the last five or six guys this time. But I mean, it's just insane. I mean, you know, and, and you got to remember, everybody goes by their nicknames back then too. Yeah. Like, how the heck do you find Bibber O'Hearn? Yeah, you know, I mean, which I did. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, but, you know, I mean, how do you find a guy named Bibber? You right. know, I mean, it's just. I, and that one was actually on Facebook. His daughter mentioned it was 25 years ago today that Dad died. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, things like that. You just get lucky. Yeah. I mean, oh, but uh, Bob, uh, uh, Tom, or Thompson, the goal, the defenseman, uh, um, Terry Thompson. Right. You know, I mean, right. Uh, luckily, uh, yeah. I talked to Robbie Irons, and he mentioned uh, Terry's wife's name. And I found her and then I found where he had then I found his his uh obituary because it wasn't under Terry, it was under something right. else. And it mentioned his uh the love of his life and former wife, you know. Yeah. That's how I found it. Yeah. Um but you know, you just sometimes you just keep digging until you find it and you just get yeah. lucky.
0: And what's uh, what I found was, was really, really fun is that Research and researching, going back to the first team in 1952-53. Oh, yeah. And you want to assume that they're all gone. But right. the very first two guys on the roster, Eddie Long and George Drysdale, very right. much still with us. Oh, you, yeah. you can't make any assumption like right.
1: that. And uh, Len Wharton was the one next to them. Yeah. Um, there was another guy, too, who was recent. But he wasn't. He was. He was like there for two games or something. Yes. And, and, yes. And and the thing is, Eddie. And Eddie knew. You know. I mean, he knows yeah. still all this stuff. He's still Mister Memory. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. So I mean, so that stuff is is fascinating, and you could keep digging and digging and find whatever you know stories just for for days. Yeah. You know.
1: Um, yeah. And there's yeah. And you know, the sad part is George is his memory's not there as much anymore, and um. You know, Eddie, sometimes you got to give him a day or two, and he comes up with it, but, yeah. it, you know, used to be right off the top of his yeah. head, no problem. Um, the fact that he's got anything left is incredible. Um, you know, and a lot of these guys, their families can help too. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. But, I mean, we are so blessed. It's just unbelievable right. how blessed Fort Wayne and the Comets are. I mean, I was just speaking to a class at Indiana Tech the other day about uh, the 1950s when we had. Uh, the daisies were playing for their championship. The Pistons played in the NBA Finals mm-hmm. twice. Uh, um, you know the the fastball Pistons were three time world champs, and you had all these things that were going on. And high school basketball was drawing nine thousand fans yeah. in the Coliseum for games. Yeah. And then by the end of the fifties, it was all gone. the The PGA tournament, the Fort Wayne Open, was here. the The LPGA played their second major here. I mean, all those kind of yeah. things that were happening in the fifties. And they were just all gone, except for the comets. Yeah, at the end. And yeah, it's just, it's just incredible the things the comets. Well, have
0: been and tra- another thing that's also amazing is that like the majority. We're doing this in the Comet Office. You know, you have you have uh, David and Mike Franke, You have myself. You, know, you, Chuck Bailey, you have all these people who have been around for the entire duration of this franchise, and if one of us doesn't know something, oh, we're they, screwed. Well, yeah. no, but it's like an, the person next to me might know it, right? And, right. You know, we keep uncovering things, and there's things in the record books like, wow, I can't believe we don't have a record for this, right? And it's something like, oh, I would love to go down to the library and go through every box score and find this record. <laughs> you would love to, but that would be a right. that would be a
1: retirement project, right? You know, I mean, that would be a ten-year project, right? Because putting the original. Record book together was a ten year project, yeah, I mean it was that was what I did for summers, yeah, is I would you know use that time to and I was a master of microfilm, I could find it anywhere, <laughs> and then the the microfilm machine broke, and they wouldn't replace it and yeah. Going through some of that stuff at the library is like it is literally a needle in a haystack.
0: Right. But even like with Larry, if there's something like Larry and I, we're very much the same generation. Oh, yeah. And if uh, I have something, if I have a question, I'm like, I'm going to La- Larry. do you right. remember this? And we both, we and do that all the time. And then you can go to Don Detter too right. or, you know, Ted <laughs> yeah.
1: Rolf. I mean, yeah. Ed Rose, guys like that right. who'd been around forever or yeah. the Zimmermans or, yeah, you know, I mean. It's so much fun to collaborate on yeah. all that. Stuff. And that's
0: and that's another thing. I mean, there's obviously franchises who. Are, I mean, you have you have Hershey. You that's have, it. And that's it. But you also have you know you have like Indianapolis It has a rich and and right. Toledo Muskegon. and Springfield. Yes, they just have different iterations. Just hasn't been the same team. But right. Um, but each team is different. We've had the same team, and we've right. all been around.
1: And I remember too. We used to have the discussion when they left the IHL. Do you keep two separate record books?
0: Right. And I brought that up with Toledo. I've, I've asked them several times, and they do. They keep two, two separate See, books. See, I don't think you do that because yeah.
1: I don't think to the fans it matters. Right. Now, the, there are some diehards from 90s that definitely matters. Yeah. But the fan experience is not. Yeah. It's, it's the same. Right. You know, I mean, it's been proven again and again and again. I mean, uh, truthfully, I would take IHL 2 over a lot of the leagues the Comets have played in yeah. because those six teams went at each other tooth and nail. And you knew everybody on every team, too. Right. And that just made it better. And when the Comets went to the Central League and won that championship, I would argue that any three or four of those six IHL teams would have done the same thing. Yeah. Because they were that good compared to what Wichita was. you know. Now, Missouri was another factor. Yeah. That was an epic series. That was an all-time series. But that finals, that was not very good, you know. Um, and I could think you could have argued Muskegon or Port Huron, or even Kalamazoo would have beaten that team. You know, Quad City would have been a the old Quad City team. Sure would have. Yeah. But I mean, that was how good that level of hockey was. Partly because you played each other all the time and you knew everything the other guy was doing. You had to play better. And you think you think about this too, Shane. This was. Everybody played a different style. Sure. Now everybody plays the same style. Sure. It's yeah. not nearly as much fun strategically yeah. as it was then, you know. Yeah. I mean, you knew Kalamazoo or Port Huron was going to come in and ice the, and kill the puck. They were going to put you to sleep. And you had to provide your own energy and yeah. your own speed to get around that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, you knew uh, who was the little center, Tyler, for Kalamazoo. uh you know, they had those guys, yeah. you know, that, and, and Nick Bootland. I mean, you knew what yeah. you were getting from Nick Bootland yeah. every night, you know. Tyler Willis. Tyler Willis. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, <laughs> Chad Grills and Flint yeah. and those guys. I mean, heck, Leo, when he played against the Comets. I yeah. mean, you knew those guys. You knew what their favorite moves were better than the players on the ice sometimes. It's like I used to yeah. wonder, how in the heck can you not have a scouting report on the referees? Yeah. We did it sitting in the stands. We knew what that guy was going to call. Yeah. Or, or shootouts. How could you not have a book in your head to go to on what a guy's favorite move was? Yeah. That was neglectful if it didn't happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, because you knew what it was. Yeah. You know, and that was part of the fun is not just beating that team, but yeah. beating those guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was yeah. that's why it was so much fun. And the playoffs were just spectacular. The playoffs, even the opening round series, there was no gimmies in anything yeah. in those playoffs because the teams hated each other so yeah. much. I mean, it wasn't the Fisticuffs of the old IHL early yeah. 90s, but the intensity was sure well, there. Well, and I and
0: I this past playoff series of uh, with with Wichita and Allen uh and and South Carolina. That was the closest to that time because I think the league, of course, only had 14 teams, so the, the level of play yeah. was probably the top. I mean, and I've I think seen the goal since then probably the goaltending, yeah. And the fact that it was all five-game series also helped because I didn't think, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about this, but the right. fact that you had game on top of game, there was no cooling off. So that's how it was so intense.
1: Well, and you think about, too, is if they don't come back against Allen in the one game, right. none of it happens. Right. And every year – that you're in the playoffs, there's at least one of those games yeah. that you have to figure out a way to win. I mean, and that that's what people will remember out of this last playoff thing. Yeah. I think if that had been at home, we'd still be talking, right? About it. <laughs> you know, and people I used to always tick me <laughs> off so much about the second IHL is people from the opposing cities would say, "Well, they got the it home It's the road games that make it, yeah. I mean, you can still remember that last title when they won in Flint that night when Flint had the full house and they were just that was as raucous as any yeah. arena I'd ever been to. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were just so fired up. And, you know, you remember that game in, in Missouri where they were down oh, three, three to one yeah. and had to win three two. Yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Nick and and. Charlie Effinger just going at it. <laughs> I still remember going up to Charlie after the game. He goes, Man, I can see the fire in their eyes. I just love this. When's the next game? I mean, he was so fired up. And yeah. I thought I knew when he said that, I knew, oh, he'll be a comet someday. Yeah. I just, without a doubt, I had no doubt in my mind that Mike or Dave would read that. Oh, I want that guy. Yeah. You know, what I mean, or Al would read it, I want that guy, you know. Yeah. And he, sure enough, you know, I mean Tyler Butler was the same thing. You know, what I mean, yeah. guys, you just knew that. That, that guy's going to be a Comet. Yeah. You know I
0: mean? Well, and, and uh, going back to that game you mentioned in Allen, uh, game number two of the, of the semifinals, the Comets came back. They're down yeah. one to nothing in the series. Right. They're down, they're down 3-1 in the, in the third period with 12 and a half left. They come back and win it. And Dylan Ferguson was pulled uh, going into that third period. And after that game, Dylan Ferguson was so fired up, he was like, I I want this game. Let's go do it right now. Let's go play game three right right now. I mean, he was, even though he was not upset that he was pulled or anything like that. He was just like, I want to redeem myself. Let's get going.
1: (laughs) Oh, and you know, everybody forgets uh, how good Nick Boucher was on the road. Yeah. I mean, he was just unbelievable. I don't think there'll ever be another Comets goalie who was as good on the road as Nick. I mean, and he was the same guy he was at home, except he was just better on the road. He was Unbelievable. Uh, where how many big games were they down three to one in a series? He just beat them. He just would yeah. beat the other team, and you know, like they had so much confidence in Nick, they just go play. They weren't stressed out or nothing, and that you know you knew Colin would make a play. You knew Leo would make a play. You knew PC would block a shot. Even you know, what <laughs> I mean, I remember in the locker room those guys getting all over PC for blocking a shot and yeah. stuff. You know, you just knew it would happen, and you knew Nick would get them through. You know. Uh, you know, big game Boucher, you know, I mean, you just do <laughs> it. You know, there's so yeah. many times where I'm not sure Nick gets his, I don't know if you could give a guy like Nick enough credit, right? you know, for what he did. I mean, he never had a pokey run. Yeah. But by gosh, he got him there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I still remember him walking to the rink when they're down three to one in Missouri and, and Missouri's having their outdoor uh, carnival and they're doing um the parking lot food and everything. And they're just having a high o time. And Nick walks right through it. And I stopped and offered him a ride and he goes, no, I'm getting my head going. <laughs> and he was like two miles away. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and I'm like, Oh crap, they are going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. You know? Cause he was like, no, I'm fine. Thanks. You know? And it was like, you could tell. I mean, yeah. and he did that. And when he would walk five miles, if it yeah. was necessary, you know, and the guys all knew it and they're like, stayed away from him and, and, but my gosh, was he money? Yeah. I mean, he was money, uh, you know, and for a guy who, you know, another one of those guys who showed up here on his last stop home, yeah. you know, and made a, made a, made a home here. Yeah. You know, I mean, so many guys like that. Yeah. It's just, that's the blessing of, of being where we're at, you know I mean? And it's not guys who showed much or as much elsewhere. They just showed yeah. up here. Dusty Virag, you know I mean? Yeah. Guys who, who became legends, you know, I mean, like Ian says in the book, I didn't know where Fort Wayne was. Right. And uh, <laughs> now he's never left. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's yeah. so many guys like yeah. That, that. Yeah.
0: There's so many stories. Now, do you ha- do you ha- have a favorite of the five you've written? Is there one that uh,
1: – Maybe Tales of the Comets because that was the first yeah. one. And I had to learn how to do it. Right. And without that one, none of the rest of them have happened. Yeah. You know, um, doing Bobs was definitely the hardest that was by far the hardest one first of to do it the original time and then to finish it off after he passed. Yeah. That was hard. And even though I got help from you and Karen and, and uh, you know, the Morelands and, and it still was hard. Um, But getting Bob to actually sit his butt down so I could (laughs) tie him down to the chair to answer the questions was, that was really hard. That was very, very difficult (laughs) because everything was the seat of his pants and He'd tell me the same story four months later, and it's like, Bob, I'm not repeating it. I'm not doing, (laughs) you know, the same work again that we did four months ago. And he'd slam his fist on the table and say, but it's better now. (laughs) No, it's not. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, and that was Bob. I mean, he would never sit down, and (laughs) I'd give him 10 questions the week before and say, now study these. We're going to come back next week, and these are the 10 questions we're going to focus on. Yeah. And I'd get there, and he goes, yeah, where is that list? I put it here somewhere. Murph, Murph, did you n- did you hide my list, you know? And then the dog would come in, and Murph would bring in pie. And it's like 45 minutes later, we didn't get anything done, you know? I mean, it was just – he just couldn't focus. Yeah. He uh, – I I would I, – I don't know if it was a technical ADHD, but he just had – Yeah. He couldn't sit still. It was still. just his energy. Yeah, yeah. he couldn't yeah. sit still. yeah. And he was so excited to tell the stories once you got into yeah. it. But by gosh, yeah. getting him into it, yeah. you know, you literally had to lock the door and and be
0: in front of the door so he couldn't get out, you know, I mean, to get him to do it. Now, with this book, you were able to talk to pretty much everybody. Yeah, but everybody but, but two. But two, and that's actually quite impressive. But And uh, I had
1: I had ways to get to them, and yeah. they declined. I mean, yeah. I, I talked to uh, Sylvain Couturier, helped me try to track down uh, John Mark Richard. And they are in the book. Right. But. Yeah. I don't get to talk to them, yeah, um, John Mark had his number retired last year by his junior team. when you look at his junior numbers and it's like, What took you so long <laughs> and then um but i he declined, he just really he declined because I had two or three people reach out to him and each yeah. time he declined, and he wouldn't call back and Igor Cheebra was coaching in Ukraine, and his son th- this is my research folks, <laughs> I mean, this is how crazy it gets. His son, who was a baby at the time here, um, was a tennis star at Northern Michigan Tech or Northern Michigan, one of the two. And I reached out to the school, and they helped me track down him on LinkedIn. And he remembered me somehow. And he was trying to set up an interview with his dad. And he was even going to do it because he didn't know how good his dad's English was anymore. And he said, yeah, he's going to do it, and never did it. And I kept waiting and waiting and finally I said, I gotta publish the book. We gotta yeah. get it out before the season starts, you know. And he just never he got he was in the finals. His team was in the finals and they were up three to one or three to nothing and they lost the next game and he got fired. And wow. then they won the next game to win the title, <laughs> but he wasn't there. And that's all I know, you know. That's all his son knows, you know. And uh I mean, but other than that, but I do have a spot in the book for them. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to ignore him. Yeah, you know, I mean, Igor was the leading scorer oh, sure. in the playoffs. You yeah, know? yeah, and John Mark was the whole key to the yeah.
0: to the Diamond Power. Oh play. yeah, and and again, if, you know, you had he was in San Diego, and you have the tie of the right. big trade that that brought and, him and back.
1: It was interesting because neither he or Hankinson really had a whole lot of, and I've talked to John Mark about that before. Neither one of them had a whole lot of input on why that happened. Yeah, and. You know, the story I was told at the time and wrote about 10 years later was that the Comets had uh, felt there was tampering with with, uh, San Diego and John Mark because the New York Rangers signed John Mark, and then they assigned him to San Diego, and the Comets felt like that was tampering. And they kept at it and kept at it until the league ruled that that was indeed the case. So John Mark had to come back to Fort Wayne. Well, to try to – it was obviously very destructive, or it could have been really a bad problem for the league. So they finagled this trade. Well, then they didn't send anybody back for two months, and then they sent Max Middendorf back, and you're like, how does that work? You know I mean? <laughs> but yet those guys showed up in time to play against San Diego in the last regular season game against San Diego. Yeah. and. You know, it just didn't make sense. The workings
0: of minor league hockey. Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) Like the Mike Keenan, you know, we're going to send – we're not, none of you guys will ever play for the Blackhawks thing. Yeah. I mean, you don't think it's possible. Then you look at it and you're like, well, that kind of makes sense. You know, I mean, there's things like that. And now nobody remembers. Right. But yet I wrote about it two or three times over the years and nobody ever said anything, you know. So uh, I called that in the book. It's like one of the things behind the locker room door, you know. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: well, with that, let's close the locker room door, my man. <laughs> this is awesome. It was a good time. And again, you know what? We can't it's a, just as a fan, you know, we can't thank you enough because you write these things. And and again, it's all on you. I mean, financially and in your time and all that stuff. But it is a record and it's something that no minor league team has. And I mean, so you're 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 the Fort Wayne treasure, Blake. Oh, thank so you. there you I go. Appreciate that. um <laughs>
1: Like I said, it was really cool to get the notes back from the players about what it meant to their families and yeah. stuff. And, and I was like, I never even dreamed, you know, and how do you top that, you yeah. know what I mean? And the cool part is, too, a lot of the fans are responding about, that's exactly like I remember it, yeah. you know. And, you know, it's just because it, there's no video of yeah. all those games. You know, yeah. there's not even Bob, you know. Yeah. Uh, but Tapes of Bob out yeah. there of those games. I'd love to listen to that Atlanta game too again, yeah. The, the one down there that wasn't on an Atlanta radio station or TV, and that was still the best game I ever saw the Comets play. Yeah, I mean, I and you were telling me you were that was the game you were at the Wizards. Yes, that night. Yes, I was on the radio. I mean, yeah. I'd still, I'd love to see yeah. that one again. Yeah, that was just, I mean, guys laying on the ice after. And they're, they're not making an exaggeration. I mean, both teams yeah. laying on the ice because they were so tired. Yeah, after that game, I mean, it was just. That you knew that that
0: was what told them they could do this. Yeah. You know? Well, read the book, get the book, buy the book, and uh, yeah, relive relive that history. If you were there, if you weren't, you can learn. All about just a terrific story, the 92 93 Comets. All right, buddy, thanks a lot. Perfect is the title of the book, and I think perfect is a good way to describe that conversation with Blake Sebring. Yes, I want to thank that guy for coming on in and doing another episode. This was his second episode, so if you haven't heard the first one, go back and listen to the first one. But this one was all about that book, and uh, Blake has got a lot of other books about the Comets. Get those, it is a great uh, gift for the holidays. Also, the Bob Chase book is available audio style. And you can get that at bobchasebook.com. It is voiced by none other than yours truly. So on uh, all these great holiday ideas, make sure you get some books. Uh, uh, also get them autographed by Blake because he's at the games all the time. And uh, so it's a great gift. It's a great book. It's a great read. Again, I'm going to thank him uh, for uh, showing up and I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Huntington University Comets Podcast.